smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your co-host, Cliff Schechter, here along with the other host. The other. The guy who's not, maybe doesn't sound sultry, but he's upset about that. His voice isn't so deep, but damn it, don't we love John Aravosis? Hey, Midwesterners, what do you do? We talk the way we talk. Hey, what are you? Um, <laughs> we're speaking of Midwesterners. Um, we're actually well, she's no longer a Midwesterner, but she was. She always will be. Hey, uh, we're yeah, lucky definitely. to have uh, a terrific political strategist, healthcare advocate, uh, with us today. We have Laura Packard here, uh, award-winning progressive digital and new media and communication strategist, who's currently based in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Laura has an incredible story. She spoke at the Democratic convention, a virtual convention, a day or two ago. Um, In the spring of 2017, she was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And not only did she fight for her life, she was fighting during that time to protect Obamacare for the from the million assaults on it by Mitch McConnell and the gang and had some incredible moments where where it can be argued Laura played a huge role uh, in helping save it, including embarrassing Dean Heller at a town hall and some other things. Um, she founded a nonprofit in 2018 called Healthcare Voices to organize adults with serious medical t- conditions to tell their stories. Uh, we'll tell you more about Laura. She'll tell you more about Laura. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. Hello. Hey. See, your mic does sound good. John's jealous. Well, I've told you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, now, where are you? Are you originally Midwest, Laura, or where are you from? Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm a Michigander, but I okay. live in Denver, Colorado now. Yes. Okay. That's okay. No, we'll, Michigan's we'll, we'll great. I was, we just went up there for our mini distance. To oh, vacation. Michigan's great. Yep. To Lake Michigan to St. Joseph, which is which we loved, it was beautiful. My kids had fun, and um, I like that state. You're like north of us, but like you're more liberal, which is good. In any case. Um, <laughs> well, so before we get to the serious stuff. Yes. Um, we wanted to so, really talk about the pleasurable stuff first. Uh, would you like to introduce that topic, John? Oh, what the hell? So Steve Bannon just got arrested. <laughs> Steve Bannon? You mean the white nationalist, I want to start a school to train Nazis in Italy guy who just showed up on TV 10 days ago looking like uh, – like something out of Point Break, but if like you know one of the characters from Point Break had lived on whale fat and whiskey for like twenty years, that guy. Yep, another Trump advisor. Um, right, Trump Arrested. advisor indicted. Um, yeah, and you know we don't want to throw questions to Laura; she was unprepared for. But I was kind of thinking this to myself. Hmm. I, I think is he the last of like I think every Trump campaign chair and campaign manager has now been accused of a crime, if I'm correct. Um, I don't think they've gotten Kellyanne uh, Conway just yet. But she was the manager um, at some point, wasn't she? Yeah, I think she was the third. Uh, but anyways, hearing the hearing the news this morning, I'm brokenhearted, but not broken walleted because I was not one of the people scammed oh. by Steve Bannon. Well, he Nor said he was I. raising money for the wall. Apparently, they even said in the thing. Uh, you know, we will not be making any money, no salaries, no nothing. And then they took a bunch of the money for, okay, salaries, whatever you want to call salaries, right? They even faked invoices. That was the best part. 
I mean, so, you know, because a lot of non look, a lot of nonprofits in town, let's face it, we, we well, all know be, this, raise money churn. for stuff and then they take money from yeah, the What money they do they is raise, a churn right? cycle. For people that don't involved you know. in this, we'll, we'll break it down for you. What you do is, if you're a grifter like them, you start one of these kinds of nonprofits. C3 could be a C, 501c3, which means fully, you know, nonprofit, nonpolitical, charitable. It could be a political one that can do some political work, which is a 501c4. Uh, and those and, and they're dark money. They don't have to, to let people know who they're giving money to. So right away, you've got some problems there um, with how they spend, you know, how they spend their funds is harder to track. But um, what they do is, is they'll they'll raise money from people and then they'll pay themselves huge fundraising <laughs> like percentages. Uh, so they hire like their own firms and like, well, but they we claim they weren't. They claimed they weren't. It's a Ponzi scheme because yeah. you keep paying yourselves to raise more money, and then the money you raise goes into your pockets. Well, and again, they claimed they weren't taking any of the money, so that's right. what's even worse. It wasn't like their fee was too high; it was right. we're not taking any fee, but we really are. And and again, faking invoices. I so mean, wait, I haven't looked at the details. So, John, how were they? So, I mean, basically, they were they were putting out faking voices that they were, you know, hiring organizations. I, um, that- they had Aaron, uh, what's his name, Hoftig or whatever, who's the former justice guy who's on CNN a lot. He yeah. was the one giving the briefing, and quite literally, this happened in the last couple minutes. But he simply said, he goes, you know, I looked at the indictment to see, because you can often tell from the indictment how serious it is or not. And that's when he said, they've got copies of fake invoices, so in other words, they were transferring the money in a fake way. I mean, this isn't – that's what I'm saying. This goes beyond typical nonprofits, and I'm sorry. I learned this everywhere I worked. When they raise money for a cause, it often goes into the general fund of the nonprofit. And then they say, well, some of our – when I was at the UN, they did this crap. Well, we're raising money for Ebola, but you know, it's for us, and some of it goes to Ebola in a way. And I was like, oh, God, okay. Right. But, so, but, know, even I mean, that, I, but this was literally right. faking invoices and stuff to hide the money. I mean that's just – Right. I mean, I have some experience because we started here uh, at 501c3 and 501c4 back in 2015-16. I, I started one with funding from pro-choice groups yeah. <clears throat> to fight back against the, the legislature here because they were passing such crazy bills, and we thankfully slowed them down a bit and did some things. But the point is, is that um, you know we did our best, of course, to be transparent about everything. Yes, I was paid a salary. I, I have to make yeah. a living like anybody else. And so that salary was fully disclosed. I wasn't making little bits of money here and there and, you know, getting a slice off of this. Hey, let's, let's, uh, you yeah. know, hire that, that firm and they'll give me 20% around the well, back. And, and yeah, you, you just, you take a salary, you let, you put that in your reports and that's what you make. Well, you know, you know it's, right. I mean, I'm sorry. And I know Cliff and I are like going off and not having Laura. Laura, I swear to God, you're next year. But I have to say Don't one more little shut up on this. Well, no, because listen, this is the final how much of a grift this is, at least with other nonprofits, even the UN bullshit I was at. OK, they take the money and they say, well, it's going to our general fund. But of course, we work on Ebola. So the money did go to Ebola. A little bit grifty, but at least it is true. Like the UN or I don't know, you give money to XYZ civil rights group and they put it into their general fund. At least they do work on civil rights. In this case, the money was for the wall <laughs> right. and it didn't get spent at all on the wall. Like it, Well, it that's, just got- that's not true. They built a wall of Gucci. Did you Is see they paid of off their credit card debts? Invo- a wall of fake invoices. The Gucci wall. <laughs> oh my <laughs> oh, God. Awesome. Anyway, it's, sorry, we're just a little giddy. It was a, it was a happy- have, and, and I would recommend everybody go and- <laughs> read like rick perlstein a couple years ago wrote a hmm. great piece and i don't remember what magazine it was for do you guys you guys are familiar with rick i assume uh, yeah historian progressive and maybe hopefully people listening um and it was all about how the kind of the sort of grift complex 
merged mm -hmm. with the right-wing complex because they do the same thing. Once you're dealing in sort of selling people complete bullshit, uh, you can curse on this, by the way, Laura, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we've been kind of doing that. Once you're, once you're selling people complete bullshit and you're saying to them, you know, uh, you know, what, oh, my God, if you buy these pills, you know, that were left by Jesus, you'll be yeah. cured of cancer. I mean, literally, Mike Huckabee, like, sent out emails to people that subscribed, I think it was to Newsmax. He bought their email list and said he had a biblical cure for cancer. This yeah. is a person who also ran for president. This is a person who was a governor of a state. And, I mean, it's ludicrous, but, like, that's – when you're already in your ideology is getting people to believe yeah. in non-facts, it's not a long sort of stroll over to where you're selling biblical cures for cancer and shit like that. And so, that like, they've merged and become – they're picking on the same sort of generally older – lesser educated quite often folks and this is what you get yep anyway all right well fun fun um, fun yeah in any case all right laura we, we we had our fun now we need to talk about more serious stuff and, and, I, and i'd love it if you kind of educate our viewers about what happened with you in 2017 and how that affected what you've done since then sure uh well Three years ago, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and then I started treatment. The day after my first chemotherapy appointment was when Republicans in the House voted to dismantle the Affordable Care Act. Oh, wow. And since that was keeping me alive at the time, I had very strong feelings about that. Yeah. Shocking, right? <laughs> Mm hmm. And so uh, 2017 was me going through various treatments and trying to uh, fend off the Republican attacks on our care at the same time. So I think it was maybe about halfway through my six months of chemotherapy Oof. when the Senate <clears throat> almost voted by one vote. They failed to uh, dismantle the Affordable Care Act. And then that's right. That was that one John McCain like thumb down, right? Like you had to wait mm -hmm. there, not knowing what was going to happen. I can't even imagine. Go ahead. Sorry, I just had to make that yep. point. <laughs> and then in September, uh, my senator at the time, Senator Heller, had his own bill. The that was the Graham Cassidy Heller bill. Uh, thankfully, that did not go to a vote. But around that same time was when President Trump blocked me on Twitter. Oh, right. Uh, so, what did you do? May I ask? <laughs> other than probably just tell the truth about something, but you know what uh, precipitated well, I, it, or. I found out the next day uh, when I woke up and saw that I had been blocked. So uh, I've been uh, the last tweets that I sent him were a plan. But uh, you know, well, congratulations for getting blocked. <laughs> and uh, let's see. At the end of uh, 2017, uh, I uh, the day after one of my radiation appointments, I finally got to meet my senator face to face, Senator Heller, and ask him about his record. And that was the point at which I was thrown out of his town hall. Ooh. And that was a viral moment, uh, if folks remember it. And so at the time, to be clear, if I'm correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lori, you were living in Las Vegas or Nevada somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Um, Nevada. And so Dean Heller was your senator. <laughs> Nevada, oh, I love that. Yes. That was awesome. I, I thought, you know, Cliff said it, Nevada. and I thought, okay, I never know how to pronounce these states out there. Isn't it Nevada, which we say, but it actually is Nevada, isn't it? Which okay. is funny. I, I'm happy mm -hmm. to be corrected. Well, because that's more Midwestern sound. Like Colorado, they say Colorado. Exactly. 
But we used to true. say Colorado <laughs> growing up. But yeah. Heavy ah sound in the Midwest. Eh, I point that out all the time. Eh. It's like it's Chicago. Cincinnati is like a, a little bit lesser form of Chicago's. It's not quite as hard because big cities yeah. tend to do that. And Cincinnati's not as big. But oh, yeah, Michigan. So, Michigan's. Michigan. 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 Michigan's not bad. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin's my favorite, though. Wisconsin. They really Kansas. well. That's got a little more <laughs> of also that northern kind yeah, of yeah. like northern European, like from Fargo, mixed into it. You start yep. getting some of that yep. too. In any case, anyway, we talked about, but, um, uh, we've now discussed linguistics. And well, so I mean, more, but can I just? I mean, just you know, Cliff and I. Although I think Cliff and I probably haven't told our entire health history on the show because, which which that raises a point right there. You know, I've got other stuff I haven't talked about on the show, and it's. It's still stuff that like is in the back of my head going, oh, should I write about my health someday? You know, I don't know. And it was also like a really weird situation of having to go to tons of doctors and nobody knew what I had. And it was just, and it still is kind of in the air. I mean, someday I'll write about it where they're kind of like, well, you know, we don't quite know. And you'll either die of it someday or you won't. And if you don't, that's how right. you'll know it wasn't bad. And I'm like, okay, that wasn't very <laughs> reish. I kid you. No, I mean, I've been to the experts. It's not their fault. But have, have but I your, not talked about, because John, I have talked about you mine, mentioned I think you've you've mentioned I had Graves disease correct. when I was twenty nine. You mentioned that yes. mentioning quickly. It's not I mean, I'm not gonna say it's not what Laura had, and it's the kind of thing that a hundred years ago would have killed me, probably. But we have medicine. So thing, I mean right? Yeah, so I mean, I, I didn't know I had it. My and, and Graves' disease, it was it was speeding up uh, the production of my thyroid, which makes you lose lots of weight. It can be deadly eventually. Your metabolism goes through the roof. Right. Um, it creates panic attacks. Your heart is beating out of control. And so, you know, I I go to the gym. I try to stay in shape. I was then, and one day I was at the gym lifting with a friend, and I literally collapsed oh, and wow. started shaking uncontrollably. And I thought I was having a heart attack and dying. I mean, I was 29 years old. Oh, I'd always God. been in good wow. shape. I mean, you know, uh, I'd been a track runner and all this stuff. And and uh, and it was you'll know it too. Both of you will know it because you know hmm. TC well. Was at the the um right across the street from the Hilton, the Washington Sports Club, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that that you know, was why I went to. Yeah, yeah, on Connecticut Avenue, and I had to be rushed to GW Hospital. Where you know, and, and they said my heart was really crazy. And long story short, yeah, I had to go see a doctor right away. It was like you've got Graves' disease, and they had to use this stuff called radioactive iodine uh, to zap my thyroid because oh, right. they can, you can manage your thyroid from below the regular rate. You can't right. manage it from above. So now I, I'm on thyroxin the rest of my life and all that oh, stuff. So you were but the point here is thyroidism, yeah. That's correct. And, and, but I had, you know, and under a massive anxiety that came from that, that I've mostly defeated at this point, for, but for the 10 years after, didn't mm-hmm. help that I was downtown when the second plane hit and saw it with my own eyes. It wasn't yeah. far from 9 11. Mm-hmm. Great time to do that when you've got Graves' disease and anxiety issues. Um, and, and, but my point to you is, is that I could be rejected for a pre existing condition very easily yeah. if, yeah. if, mm-hmm. uh, and so this affects a lot of people. I want to get back to Laura though, because her. Well, yeah, no, and well, a, the reason I raised it was on a more personal level. You know, like I said, even I haven't talked about everything I've got because I, but I do feel like someday I want to because it's important for the healthcare stuff. How do you get diagnosed with something like that, and a not just fall apart, b decide you're going to tell people publicly, c because I mean that's hmm. pretty hard too, and c decide rather than falling apart, I'm going to channel this into doing something good. I mean, Eddie Barkin's another person like that. How do you get these kind of diagnoses and turn it into something positive? I, I mean, I mean, it's almost like I'm asking you, what's the recipe? Because it's that's got to be impossible. Well, so <laughs> you know? well, we should give you the credit that you, the I mean, courage you have. That, that's what I mean. So, I just can't, I would hope I would act the same way, but God, I, were you not just a mess after you found out? Uh, I was. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I was at the beginning of April, and then I started be you know speaking 
freaking out at the end of April. So I, I spent a lot of time as a mess, but I decided that I wasn't ashamed of this. This is a thing that was happening to me, but I wasn't going to take on shame that didn't belong to me. And so that's one of the reasons why I decided to be public about it because, you know, we all have bodies and those bodies fail and that isn't a moral judgment. So I didn't want to make people feel like this had to be hidden or should be hidden. Uh, So, you know, I, I deliberately spoke out to sort of uh, work against the stigma uh, that people feel when when they're sick, and then it also just happened to coincide with all of these attacks, right. which gave me something to do. You know, a purpose besides yeah. just sitting on my sofa feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. Wow. And now, folks, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Laura Packard. But first. Unfortunately, COVID-19 infection rates are exploding across the nation. We know it's common sense that everyone wear a mask. And finally, many states uh, have put a mask mandate in place. Face masks are still our best way to protect ourselves, our family, and our community. But what happens when the mask you thought you were buying is fraudulent or worthless? The FDA has provided a list of authorized respirator mask manufacturers. Finding those masks has been a challenge and verifying their authenticity even harder. Right now, thenewdealshop.com has FDA-authorized respirator masks with anti-fake authentication on every package to ensure you're getting exactly what you need. These masks are tested by the NPPTL in the United States and provide greater than 95% filtration. They've even been used in the medical community. Right now, these masks are in stock and shipped for free for my listeners, or actually Cliff's too, when you add the code SEXYLIBERAL. <laughs> Go to thenewdealshop.com and order your supply today. That's thenewdealshop.com. Get them and keep yourself, your family, your community safe. And as always, sexy liberal could be one word. It could be two. Try both. But you should be able to get uh, your. And if you just don't listen to John when he's on, but you just listen to me, you still can get that. Exactly. So and Cliff, our other sponsor is. Well, I mean, don't you love John just getting together with the people you love over the summer? Oh, but I do. There's nothing quite. You do? Of course you do. There's nothing quite like a backyard barbecue talking about the good old days over a hot dog and grandma's potato salad. When people were dropping like flies. Yep. Sorry. Yep. (laughs) This summer. (laughs) <laughs> give, give something to give everyone something to do to talk about and show up to your barbecue looking 10 years younger that's 10 I said, 10, 10 not 12 not 10. 8 10 nope. 10 damn it and you can show everyone your new you by using plexiderm folks plexiderm is a clinically proven serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles fine lines and under eye bags and it works in less than 10 minutes so you look 10 years younger in less than 10 minutes you do the math on that john I think it would the results last <laughs> Uh, I don't know if they allow it in prison. We'd have to see what the rules are. But in any case, the results last for hours. Long after it's finished off the watermelon fruit salad. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines number 11, which we've learned about. Oh, which we now know are the two lines between your eyes and over your forehead when you scrunch. And between your nose, you get two lines that look like 11s. You don't like this. Um, Take up to 10 years off your appearance this summer in less than 10 minutes with Plexiderm. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you go to tryplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm, also the number 11s. Visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES at checkout, guys. All right, I think uh, we can we can resume our, our 
fascinating discussion with Laura Packard now, can't we? We can. Well, I mean, that is a great point, right? I mean, you got yourself out there, and in a way, it gives you that purpose that makes you want to just keep fighting and keep going, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so that's, that's yeah, a and good not thing. To, and not I, to speak. Go ahead. Hmm. Not to speak for anybody else, but I think that's why a lot of activists, and I mean the people I know that have terminal diseases, still speak out because, you know, if your time is limited, you want to do something meaningful right. and and important with that time. Well, you know what, and I think, like you said, there's also the the fuck it aspect in the sense, like, you know, even me right now, it is true. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, I just don't want to talk about it. You know, it's not terminal, but it's just mm-hmm. like, it's weird, but you're right. Like if somebody told me I had six months, I'd go, oh, screw it. You know, I'm going to write every political piece I've always wanted to write that I've said, oh, I'm going to piss people off. And but I, think probably the, I mean, you well, just, I don't want to cut you off, John, but I, I do yeah. want to say that, you know, especially to our listeners that, yeah. you know, and I think what Laura was saying was, was important there about, you know, how you react and not being, having shame. I think it's also important yeah. to point out that everybody has different reactions to these kinds of things. And so your reaction is a completely leg- legitimate one too, John, not everybody is going to, what Laura did was courageous and, and hugely helpful. Um, you know, I probably fall somewhere in the middle. I, I talk about mine when it comes up here and there, but I don't see it as something like Laura's that, you know, right. could have been terminal. And, uh, you know, and so I think, and, and you're, you know, on the end where you're not comfortable yet. And you know what, for people out there, that's okay too. I mean, I would say, please, you know, talk to a therapist, talk to family, talk to someone, but not everybody's comfortable going public with this kind of stuff. And that's okay. Also, you know, people need to make their mm-hmm. own decisions. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody has to speak out, but what I don't want people to feel like is that they can't speak out because they're ashamed. If something yeah. is going on with your body, it's not your fault. That used to be the case with cancer. I mean, I, again, I, older generations may remember. I do. Um, we even had, my mom had ovarian cancer, uterine cancer years ago. She survived. But the relatives in Greece, when my dad would tell them how my mom was doing, were like, no, 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 don't talk about it. Don't don't say that. Because he would say, oh, she you know her cancer is doing better. No, nah! because it was this like jinx or something. You just, and so in the mm-hmm. old days, cancer was something you did. You whispered, you didn't talk about cancer, even in the States back like in the seventies. And it's, but I, I think, yeah, just that, like some of that phobia or whatever, for any kind of disease, but probably cancer too, which I would imagine makes it a worse diagnosis in a sense too, because we're so brought up thinking cancer is the worst thing you can get and it's death. Mm-hmm. And stage four, right? No matter what, right. stage mm-hmm. four, horrible. And you just, in any case. But so where do you where do you see healthcare in terms of the debate in this election? In 2018, it was clearly a big talking point. I feel like I'm not hearing about it as much now. Then again, I'm in DC, so- <laughs> Well, I think I think that healthcare is the number one thing on everybody's minds, but it isn't necessarily um, healthcare reform. It's this pandemic, which affects everybody. (laughs) True. (laughs) I wasn't. I I was thinking Obamacare. I'm not even thinking the pandemic. Of course, yeah. (laughs) And I think think something people haven't really. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I think people haven't really got their heads around the idea that, um, you know, over 5 million Americans and maybe twice that, you know, undiagnosed, you know, millions of Americans have this thing and we don't know what's going to happen to them long term. You know, more and more information is coming out about people having long term effects, even if they had a mild or asymptomatic case that, you know, there are lung changes and heart changes. And 
And if the Republicans succeed in dismantling the Affordable Care Act, if I were an insurance company and somebody had a heart attack or a car accident or something expensive, the first thing I would do would be pay for them to get an antibody test. And then if it turns out they ever had COVID, oops, pre-existing condition, don't have to pay. That's a really good point. I wish we would do yeah. more ads like this. Although, granted, Trump makes it hard because there's so many ads you can do. But on the healthcare stuff, I always felt like, even going back to Obamacare, I would, and I assume you had Obamacare probably because have you been working for yourself all these years, mm-hmm. like us? Yes. Yeah. So, so you pretty much mm-hmm. have to get Obamacare because there's no work plan. And I remember trying to educate my parents years ago and going, you guys are in your 80s. Do you realize I can't come home and take care of you? Meaning I can't move back because I'll lose my insurance because I'd be changing states. And health insurance is state-based. Mm-hmm. And when you move to a new state, if you work on your own, you're screwed. And my mom was like, get out of here. I said, mom, <laughs> seriously, this is even, even us, upper middle class white family, this is a problem. You know? And sometimes mm-hmm. I think we don't almost um, – we had Paul Begala on the other day, and he was talking about how you've just got to make every issue with Trump boil down to something that personally affects you and your livelihood and your health, and et cetera. And I think even on healthcare, sometimes we – we talk about the poor a lot. Being, we talk about the uninsured a lot, but we sometimes don't remind people, even if you're insured, you're in real trouble under the old system, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Again, uh, all of us. Annual caps, lifetime caps, even if you have employer insurance. And if you get COVID and wind up on a ventilator and oh. then maybe need an organ transplant, those are big bills. Yeah. And big pre-existing conditions too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for life. Well, yeah, the the poor Broadway guy. They had said if he had survived, I forget his name, but around forty years old. If he had survived mm-hmm. and he didn't, he was going to need a double lung transplant, all sorts of horrible stuff. And the cost in the old days. I wonder if people even know this. Like maybe younger people don't, but in the old days, meaning ten years ago, pre Obamacare, usually the plans had like a million dollar or a two million dollar max. And once you hit that max on your health insurance plan, you were cut off for the rest of your life. You're screwed. And uh, Roger Ebert was one of them, famous film critic for the Chicago Sometimes, I think. And he fortunately had three different insurances because he worked at three different – he had – anyway, three different insurance plans. And he got lucky because he got oral cancer, and he already worked his way through his first two insurance plans because he had spent so much on his treatment, and he was on his last insurance mm-hmm. plan. But for most of us with one, you get lung cancer. People with lung cancer – I mean, I've known people's dads. They just got cut off. Because the treatment is that expensive. This is what, and the annual too, they would have an annual limit on how much you could spend. And once you spent, in my case, my, my prescription drugs, once I spent 1200 a year, they wouldn't pay for any more drugs. And I mean, with asthma, I broke the bank, let alone with cancer. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really scary how, what, do, do you think Americans appreciate how screwed up the other system was? Or do you think people didn't until they got really sick and then they went, holy shit. I think that people think, yeah, I think people think their insurance is good until they actually have to use it. Right, because you've never had problems because you go to the doctor and maybe even you have a hernia or something and it gets fixed and you pay a thousand bucks, which is a lot, but, Mm -hmm. but you haven't had to deal with caps or anything else. Right. And so I think people, people learn a lot very fast when something serious happens, but nobody should have to go through that. Well, that's like the last time you want to be good. I mean, the stress Mm -hmm. already of 
you know, are you going to be okay as a relative, whoever it is who who comes down with something that's life threatening or very causes a very serious illness or whatever? And now you're also thinking about paying the bills. Like people just don't go through this in other countries. Yeah. Is what people don't understand. Yeah. I'll never forget like telling the story. Um, we were I was in Sicily with my wife uh, and mother in law. Already, you can see an interesting vacation heating up there. Um, <laughs> we met her for a few days, and then we went off on our own. But in any case, and she tripped and like and uh, the mother-in-law, uh, yes, down some stairs Ooh. and sprained Ooh. her ankle. And we went to the hospital. And I'm telling you, like the the we get there, they treat her. You know, that's what they're worried about. There's none of the other garbage going on. They're always asking you for, you know, any kind of payment or insurance. Afterwards, these guys, these doctors, like literally get together in a huddle to try to figure out if they're going to ask us for any money or not. <laughs> and, and, the, and the end result was they're like, nah, go ahead. You can go. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. that is medicine in the way that, you know in other in many other yeah. countries italy is the example i have for you john has, has talked about examples for some of his prescriptions i think in france yeah. and what they cost versus here when he spent time there i mean it's yeah. ludicrous and i'm not saying this that we need to have the italy model or at least in that case sicily sicily is its own beast and a lot of fun and i recommend it but um you know, th there could be something in between. I'm not saying doctors shouldn't make profit. I'm not saying, but to have the the the, the controlling sort of uh, cultural aspect of our health system be profit is insane. And mm -hmm. it's just it's it's not you know it's not the way it, it, you know it needs to be looked at alongside. You know, why do we have fire stations and why do we have uh, you know um, why do we have public schools and what I mean these these kinds of things that are just and I don't know a mail USPS for example which could be another conversation these public goods you know healthcare needs to be looked at that way in the manner of which you have a lot of rights as a citizen of this country the right to get a good treatment when you need it as far as I'm concerned, needs to be one of those rights up there with the others. Um, and I think a lot of us feel that way. And frankly, polling would show a majority of people feel that way. Um, I don't know. That's my little speech. But so what if, so you, you, obviously you were, um, you know, I remember you were involved with healthcare voter. You were, uh, you protested uh, when Dean Heller kicked you out because you asked him a pretty simple, straightforward question. And he of course didn't want to answer those kinds of things. Um, where, so how did you move on from there? I remember you coming through uh, on a bus tour through Cincinnati where I got to meet mm -hmm. up with you. Um, and, and so in the time since, how, what's your advocacy been like? What have you done with healthcare as, a, as an issue? Well, um, at the beginning of 2018, my doctor said I was in remission. And so uh, that's when I started being able to travel again. And I did two national bus tours, one in the fall of 2018 and one in the summer of 2019. And I was getting ready to go on another bus tour this spring when uh, Corona uh, happened. Right. When buses suddenly became less enjoyable and fashionable. Um, and so what's the organization that you started that you're now involved with? Um, my own nonprofit is Healthcare Voices, and I'm organizing people with serious medical conditions to tell their stories because as we've found out, personal stories are the only thing that changes people's minds and that gets action. Cool. And how are you going about doing that? In what ways? 
Well, uh, we did a training last uh, summer here in Denver, and uh, in-person trainings scrapped for the moment, but I'm looking at putting together some digital trainings this fall so that people who uh, want to uh, become an advocate that have a story but aren't sure how to tell it, uh, be able to uh, learn online. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support.